Hello and welcome to another exciting faculty meeting from the RPG Academy podcast. I am Michael, and today I have not brought along your favorite co-host and mine, the KLG. In fact, I have a guest lecturer with me. Uh, this is Mr. Jeff Stormer from the Party of One podcast. Jeff, how are you doing today, sir? I'm doing real good. How are you doing? I'm doing very well. Thank you for asking. Now, if anyone out there is not quite familiar with Jeff yet and the Party of One podcast, how would you explain what it is? Like, what is the idea behind your show? Uh, yeah, so Party of One is an actual play podcast focused on two-player role-playing games. Uh, it is one guest, it is two guests an episode. I sit down with a guest or a friend every episode. I don't know why I said guest or friend, but whatever. It's all good. <laughs> I sit down with a guest, uh, to me, one-on-one with a guest every episode. We play either a game designed for two people, like The Bite or Our Radios Are Dying, or we take games like Dungeons and & Dragons and we sort of retrofit them and we see how they work with a single player. Excellent. Now, if people have not checked out your show and they want to, where can they go to find your stuff? Uh, you can find it on SoundCloud at soundcloud.com slash party of one podcast on iTunes, Google Play, wherever fine podcasts are sold. And you can find us on Twitter and Facebook, pretty much wherever you want to see me hanging out on social media. All right, and that's party of one pod for yes. all that. Yes. Excellent. And I will have links in the show notes for everything. Uh, so today we're we're not going to have really a lot of segments. We're going to just do one long general assembly um, where we're just going to talk about specifically D and D as a solo uh, experience. I, I've you know I spend a lot of time on forums, Facebook, and Reddit, and others, and I see questions popping up quite regularly, uh, especially now as D&D is, is kind of expanding even further into the general populace from, you know, TV shows mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. Stranger Things um, and, and movies and whatever. I, I know even like when the, the writers for Game of Thrones recently got an award, they thanked their parents for letting them play D&D as a kid. Mm-hmm. So so it's becoming more and more present. So a lot of people who who don't really know what role-playing games are are starting to experience them. And I'm seeing questions all the time of, I want to play with just my spouse or I want to play with just my significant other. Or I want to play with just with my, my single kid. And, you know, like you said, D and D really isn't designed to play with one player though. I have done it in the past and had a lot of fun. I want to talk specifically about how we can do that. And you seem to be a great resource. So that's why I've asked you on, uh, but before we get into that specific, we always want to start with why we gather here for these faculty meetings. So, we want to share some of the experience that we have gleaned from our many years of playing tabletop RPGs, but we understand that the advice we give and the opinions we share may not work at every table every time, but there is one piece of advice that we do feel is pretty universal. And Jeff, would you tell us what that piece of advice is? Absolutely. If you're having fun, you're doing it right. That is correct, sir. So no matter what game you play, which system or edition, what rules you use, don't use, or misuse, if you're having fun, then you're doing it right. Now, with all of that out of the way, we're going to jump straight into our General Assembly. Attention faculty, students, and academaniacs, please proceed to the auditorium for a General Assembly. And Jeff, I just want you to enlighten me. If you and I were going to start like a long campaign, not a a one-shot, but a campaign, with me being the only player, how would you approach that? Uh, The first thing that I would do is immediately ask you, what type of game you want to play and like basic i would probably go through the entire character creation process so like figure out what level you wanted to play what class you wanted to play what style of game you wanted to play and then like actually lay all of those numbers out because i think those things are essential 
So that's probably the first thing that I would do, because I think it is, especially with a game like Dungeons and Dragons, which is very fiddly, it is, it is, I think, essential to have those numbers and those facts laid out, because then I can go back into my books and be like, okay, if Michael wants to run a political game with a, with a thief, I know that I shouldn't be using this monster because it's got seven attacks and it's going to, it's going to turn him into, it's going to nuke him in a minute. Right. Now, is there any, is there any influence that you would want to put on me as your potential player because certain types of games or certain classes levels work better? I might increasingly, the more I play them, I might try to push you towards starting at a lower level because, uh, I think, I think it is easier to figure out how things work if you play through it from a low level, especially I've played a few games with love with where I jump in with like let's play level twenty characters and it is it becomes a very swingy prospect. It becomes very much who goes first will win the encounter, and I think that it's probably better it it would probably be helpful to figure to like go through that process so I can kind of incrementally see like okay this encounter was too easy let me throw something let me throw an encounter at you that does this and see how you react to that. Yeah, I I think in general, like if anybody is, is just now looking to start playing this game, whether it's with one player or 12 players, I think it's best to start at low levels. I, I agree. Uh, now, level one in 5e is very dangerous. Your your health compared to your damage output is kind of wonky. So when you're fighting even one or two goblins, a couple bad rolls and you could be down. Mm-hmm. And then depending on how lethal your game is or you know how the other rolls take out, you could you could easily die. But the game is sort of gradiated in a way to help you learn that. Okay, you, your first encounter, you throw four goblins, party wipes them out. Okay, obviously the next time you need something tougher, or you need more of them. And you kind of learn as you go, as you build. If you started the first game ever, you're playing with level 12 characters you're probably going to wipe the party out because you don't know how to build encounters mm-hmm, or mm-hmm. everything's going to be too easy. So I think it kind of, it kind of works together that if, since we're trying to modify D and D and play it in a way that it's not, not naturally suited for, I think it makes sense to start at lower levels as well. Probably my biggest question, and I'm interested in your opinion here, because this is, this again comes up from the forums all the time is when you have a one player solo campaign in D and D, do you have the player play multiple characters or do you give them NPC helpers to still fill out two or three characters that are in the game for combat type situations? I have historically done it in neither of those ways, which I think is a very helpful answer. Um, I've always just done it where it's the one player and I, the one character, and I just tailor the things around them to like highlight the strengths and weaknesses of that one character. But I think if I were to choose between either having a player play multiple characters and having them with NPCs, I think I would go with having a player play multiple characters. Why is that? Because I think they still want, I'd, st- I'd still want the player to have that agency. Even if they're sort of not getting into the head of a single character, I'd still want them to have the agency of like, my group is doing this, as opposed to me saying like, okay, and then your other players do this, this, and this. So I think I would agree with you that that of those two choices, my least favorite is providing NPC helper monkeys. Uh, I, you know, I, we've talked about this in, in different places about the DM PCs, mm-hmm. which 
I think a lot of people confuse an NPC, a recurring NPC, and a DMP NPC because those are different things, though they are very similar. I am not a fan of DMPCs. I've never had a good experience with them. I don't like them as DM. I don't like them as player. But I'm also not a fan of playing multiple characters. And that, that's probably more of a Michael thing where I really enjoy role playing and I want to get invested in my character. And it's harder for me to do that when I have two characters. So more than likely, one of them is going to be, quote unquote, my main character. The second one or third one is just going to be mechanical benefits. Like, okay, here's my fighter. Right, right, right. I get to roll dice and kill things. And then that's just not because I'm still taken away from the role playing. So for me personally, I just want to play one character in in D and D and and make it work. Uh, so let's let's kind of focus on that. So you're you're starting the campaign. I would say I've chosen a rogue and I want to play a political game because that's absolutely mm-hmm. what I would do. Maybe a wizard, but mm-hmm. I still go on a, on a political type campaign. Are you going to approach? setting up the world, setting up the encounter, setting up the story any differently? Or is it just when it comes to encounters, you just have to balance them differently? I probably wouldn't approach building the world or story any differently. I would take the things that you're, that like, in building the character with you, because I think it's, it's in building the character with you, or when you brought me the character and was like, here's their deal, I would find the things that were interesting to me, like create a little narrative that sort of has a few of these hooks in it, and then let you go and see what happens. So it would probably be the same process as if I had a group of four, six, eight, twelve, whatever. But I think I think the main area where I would change my approach... And I think the interesting thing is I don't even know if it's necessarily changing my approach. Because, especially with like 5th edition Dungeons & Dragons, their encounter building tools are really interesting and neat. And they they make it easy to plan games with a single player which i think is really i don't think they were planning on it but it's a very unexpected benefit can you elaborate on that because i've heard most people deride the encounter building charts and and math behind fifth edition so i find it very interesting that you think it actually works well for a one-player campaign so can you just elaborate a little bit on what you mean and give maybe some examples sure i don't know if the math works out right because i've never been (laughs) like a math guy but i know that like I can look at the tables in the book and say, okay, I've got one player. Um, I've got one player. It says here that the, I should be targeting around this much experience. Let me find the encounters that sort of work with that. And then there's obviously a lot of... There's there's definitely wiggle room, especially when you only have one player. Because if I've got a cleric, then uh, even, if the, even if the encounter falls right in line with what an encounter should be, it's going to be easy because they can just say a fancy word and nuke the nuke the undead thing that i've got okay but like it at least gives me a starting point of okay it says that a single play level character should be able to take about 50 experience worth of monster in a single encounter that tells me i can go for monsters a more like plus or minus this challenge rating which i think is a quarter anyway that th- that's not important the important <laughs> Uh, I can go for things around this challenge rating, which says I can find encounters around this level, and that should give them a decent challenge. It might be a little bit on the easy side, it might be a little bit on the harder side, but if I go here, this is at least a starting place. Okay. So from like a, a social aspect, I don't think there's a lot of adjustment that needs to be made. You just, you're dealing with one character, 
and you either design encounters that make sense for that character or on occasion you design encounters that don't because you want to stretch them yes. or just put them in like a funny or, you know, your barbarian is in a social situation. Your rogue is in a situation where there's no traps, but there's a lot of just combat they can't avoid mm-hmm, that type mm-hmm. of thing. I think that that's all easy to do with one character. But I think the issue that a lot of people are going to come down to is building combat encounters. So when you are looking at encounters for one character, do you lean towards like a bunch of easier monsters or one tougher monster? Cause I can, I can kind of see problems either way. If you've got five quarter CR creatures, that's still five attacks mm-hmm. and you got, you know, you might roll a natural 20 and just get lucky. Mm-hmm. But if you put like an ogre against them, like a, a tough creature, that's just, there's just one, then you have so many hit points and it's really swingy. So I guess, like, would you throw an ogre, but maybe this is an ogre that in the story has the flu, so they have less hit points, or they just lost their arm, so they got an open gaping wound, and so you give them, like, less attack damage uh, adjustments. Like, how do you modify encounters, both just straight mechanically and then narratively, to just not wipe the floor with one character? Uh, I tend to go for lower numbers of tougher monsters, only because... If there's only the two of us, it it becomes sort of a, a time imbalance. If I don't, if I'm rolling like five attacks, it becomes, okay, you've done one thing, let me do seven things, and then I'll hand it back to you. So I tend to go towards like one or two tougher monsters, and, and then if I want to throw like a mob, I will find a way to sort of hand wave a lot of their extra stuff and just say like okay they're gonna do about this much damage okay so like they have four mobsters you just roll once and then give them like one point one attack and damage and then just say this is for all four of them in in some way combined yeah i feel because i feel like that way i'm not for lack of a better term hogging the spotlight which when there's only two people i think it becomes a matter of making sure that like you have an even amount of, like, making sure that no one person is sort of hogging things. Um, so that's probably, I would, I tend to go towards lower numbers of tougher things, and I tend to go towards, I take a cue from um, Feng Shui, which is, at every turn, I try to make it interesting, or I try to, like, add a thing where either if the player does a thing in my, like, that I've thought of in my head, then I might just end the combat early. Especially if it's like a lot of hit points and I don't feel like running through another 20 minutes of, yeah, I'm going to roll my attack. Okay, you're, okay, you deal damage and back and forth. Right. So I might do things like, okay, there's, um, the ceiling is getting ready to collapse. If the player, if the player picks up on that and is like, I'm going to throw a rock at the ceiling. Oh, the ceiling collapsed and the ogre is trapped. You can get by it without a problem. Gotcha. Or, uh, I just... Uh, I just ran a game a couple days ago where I had set up an encounter with an assassin and the player did something unexpected. He said, I'm just not going to attack and I'm going to see what the assassin does first because he like had noticed the assassin like he rolled really well on his on his perception rolls. And I said, OK, in that case, I'm not going to have this encounter because you have because the assassin is trying to treat you like competition and so isn't going to attack you if you are if you are not attacking him he's not going to attack you so i was just like okay you made you made an interesting choice that allowed me to sidestep combat altogether i don't see any reason to go through this whole process so i think it's a lot of adding in 
ways to really make that one player shine is how I would tend to balance out sort of the more mechanical concerns of this this monster does a lot of damage and might melt my player. Right. So a, a couple things that, that I would do thinking about how I would handle this as well is one of the things about 4th edition I did really like was minions. Mm-hmm. And I know other systems do the same thing with mooks and goons and mobs where essentially they don't really have hit points. You, they just, you hit them once and they mm-hmm. go down no matter what how much damage you do. And I know that in 4th edition I even introduced the idea of super minions, which you had to hit twice or you had to critical them. Either either way would take them out. Just because it got to the point where in fourth edition people would go minion hunting, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, and they'd be like, like, okay, we'll just hit them with this, and we'll know if they're minions. And then when they didn't go down, there was that look on their face, like, oh my god, we're fighting twenty things, and they're not minions. We're in trouble. But then the next hit takes them down. I would absolutely reintroduce minions into fifth edition if I was going to do a solo campaign. I think that's a great idea. Uh, yeah. And then you know, it's so like if you're fighting goblins. Even if they're all just goblins from the book, one of them is going to have red paint or they're going to have a skull mask or they're going to have a club. And that's going to be like the main goblin that you actually have to take out. All the other minions or other goblins are going to be minions. So you're going to be able to wade through them. You're going to feel like a badass. And then you still get the mechanically close to, uh, you know, equal combat with that one particular goblin or whatever the, you know, equivalent CR would be. So I heard you kind of agree, but do you have any other idea of like how you could modify the rules a little bit to make combat more exciting but survivable? Actually, yes. It reminds me there's a D&D, um, there's a, a D&D, like an old school hack of D&D called Scarlet Heroes, which is designed for a single player. And something that they do in the game, the you saying that reminded me of that, is they have something called a fray dice, which is you roll it at the start of your turn and you just do that much damage to whomever you happen to be around in combat. Okay. So if I'm a fighter, I have like a D10 that I roll and I just deal a D10 of damage. And it's it's only for enemies that are your level and lower. So if I'm fighting a bunch of goblins who are like challenge rating like a quarter and I'm level one, like I just deal damage to those goblins. And if I take out a goblin, the rest of that damage goes over to the next one. So I might take out a goblin or two in a single turn. And I think that's like in playing that in playing Scarlet Heroes, that was a thing that I was like, this immediately makes your character much cooler because it's like, yeah, these goblins, two of them are already taken out. I win. And I think that's probably something I would add in to a D&D game proper if I were to play it with a single player. And I was I plan, especially if I was planning on doing like mobs. Like, if I was going into a goblin cave, I would definitely be like, okay, yeah, you just automatically start hitting these goblins. Like, it's not a concern for you. Yeah, I think that actually, I really like that. It it, it feels very cinematic to me, mm-hmm. where you could see your character, again, yeah, you're running through, you know, Indiana Jones, you're running through the bazaar, and a bunch of these sort of soldier mooks are attacking you as you're running from different alleyways and jumping out from behind stalls. You don't want to, like, stop the chase scene to deal with that, but you can, you know, Two out of three times, you just roll enough on that die to take them out. You can narrate how you're elbowing them as you run past, or Mm -hmm. you're, you know, you're doing these almost like Jackie Chan crazy maneuvers, and that's fun. And then eventually you get to the point where you don't roll enough, 
and you you have a bit of a setback, you have to take an actual attack, mm-hmm. slows you down. That adds to the tension of the chase because you've now lost ground on what you were actually chasing or what you were running from. I really like that as a mechanic to to create that type of atmosphere in a, in a particular type of scene. Mm-hmm. I don't know that would work, you know, other than like a mob or mook situation. Um, like, I don't know if like, if I'm fighting the BBEG at the end of the game that I would want to just deal automatic damage, which I guess you said it's only if it's your level. And, and yeah, below, it's specifically so. for, it's specifically for enemies that are sort of beneath you. The analogy that I've always used is you mentioned Jackie Chan. And I think that's good. It great. is like, a Jackie Chan or a Bruce Lee movie where there's the ninjas that he's just that he's gonna like take out three of them before the guy who's an actual character he has to like do a move to where it's just like where it's like the in-between things where it's like this guy's down this guy's down oh now I have to fight this other person yeah I'm gonna screw up the, the name but I've heard that referred to as like the inverse ninjutsu principle yes that the more ninja there are the easier they are to fight so 100 ninja no problem. One ninja, you're going to get your ass kicked. Yes, exactly. It's exactly that. And I think that's a really great, I think that's a great thing to do if you only have the one character. Right. Now, the other thing I want to talk about was was magic items or equipment as a way that you can sort of balance out the power. So, you know, you could have a first level character. I know in fifth edition and me personally, I don't like to give a lot of magic items. But this would be an easy way to sort of balance things out a little bit. Okay, you're a first level character, but you have a dagger of plus two. Or you have a dagger that lets you heal once a day, so it kind of makes up for not having a cleric. Mm-hmm. Or you have a, you know, you have a helm that lets you shoot a fireball once a week. Whatever you have a way to use items, mundane and both and magical, to offset the fact that you're a single character. Have you dealt with that before? Do you like doing that? A pros cons type of thing. I, I've never dealt with it before, but I actually love that idea. Both because it does fill in some of that mechanical gap. Like if you give a rogue a like a combat weapon, it makes them a little bit more capable of doing combat stuff. But I also really love that idea because on a narrative level, it makes you can use that as an opportunity to make your player or your character more special, which I think is a really unique opportunity of when you're only playing when you're playing with a single character. I think there's a unique opportunity to make that character special or make them unique in a way that like if you're playing with four to six people it's harder to be like you are for lack of a better term like you are the chosen one it's you can't really do that in a six player game because then you have six chosen ones and that becomes a whole thing yeah it's a very it becomes a whole thing of like well we're all the chosen ones that feels a little anticlimactic but if i've only got the one player there's no reason why they can't be the chosen one. No, absolutely. I was, I was going to kind of jump in there that, that yes, like and I've heard people talking about snowflakes, you mm. know, um, uh, characters that are the chosen one. They're the, the last of this, the first of this. And that's great in like a novel or even mm-hmm. like a TV show, mm-hmm. but in a multiple player cooperative storytelling game, it does create a power imbalance. Now, I will mention that Monster of the Week, which is a, I think that is a Powered by the Apocalypse hack. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They have it set up where you can do that. It's like the Buffy, the Vampire mm-hmm. Slayer style, where you do have the chosen one. And then you have the other roles like the Scooby gang, Mm -hmm. but that's part of that game. And you go in knowing, okay, somebody's going to be Buffy. Somebody's going to be the watcher. And some of us are going to be the Scooby gang. We're going to make that work. I don't know that D and D that that conceit fits as well. I'm sure there's people who've done it and it's worked. My experience 
not so much. Yeah, it's the same with um the Doctor Who role playing game. Is usually um they they offer a few ways around it in the rule book, but like the most commonly the the most commonly played thing that I've seen in in reading it and playing it is one character is going to be the Doctor and everybody else is going to be like a companion. Which I think if you go into that game knowing that's a thing, I think that's a great. I've had a lot of fun with that. But yeah, I agree that D&D is sort of built on everybody is a special, cool, awesome person, which makes it harder to be like, okay, but you have this like magic item, you have like a special destiny. But the thing is, if you're the only player, I I honestly say I would going back to your first question of like what's the first thing I would do? I would probably take a cue from uh 13th age and say like what makes you the special cool chosen person? Yeah. Like, what's your one unique thing? Because I think, you know, you don't get a whole lot of opportunities to do that in D&D. And I think that would be a fun way to sort of kickstart that story. No, I think so as well. And I also think that, you know, I've said before that a lot of newer players, they want to play the cool, tough Mm -hmm. loner type. You know, the Mm -hmm. the alpha wolf, the the Wolverine Logan character (laughs) that doesn't work in a cooperative game. But it works great if you're the only character. Oh, yeah. You absolutely. can be that antisocial a-hole that, that will just punch the, the barkeep for giving him lip. But but you're playing that character when you're the only character. Yeah, it's it's a it's a it's a special opportunity to do that. And I think that I think that's one of the reasons I really like these games, especially with games like Dungeons and Dragons, is like I get to I get to see what I get to see what people will do when they have no limitation of like, well, the party needs a cleric, so I'm going to play a cleric. It's like, well, yeah, but what do you want to play? And it's, okay, well, I want to play the sword mage with, and I'm like, great, let's do it. (laughs) Nice. So let's recap a little bit, um, and then we can see if there's any other avenues we want to explore. So we would suggest a session zero, which I would mm-hmm. suggest for any game anyways, yeah. to find out what type of character this your solo player wants to play or work with the GM, the type of game they want to run, and you make, make sure the character fits the story and the story fits the character. You can adjust mechanically combats either by introducing some rules like you mentioned from Scarlet Heroes or adding minions into the game where they don't exist. You can look at adding equipment or magical items to offset the balance a little bit. You can have uh, in-story narrative reasons why some of the enemies are not as powerful. So, okay, you're fighting an ogre. You're going to die, but this ogre has dysentery. uh, Mm -hmm. So they're not at full health and they can't attack you as powerfully as they normally could. And then, you know, you you sort of tell the story that makes sense for this special character. Is there any other things that you would want to take into account or maybe give advice to someone who's wanting to run a solo campaign? Either things that you've done in the past that worked well or things that on reflection could have been better. The biggest thing I would say before any before running this, especially if you've never done it before, is it's a very intimate experience and a very intense experience. And I think... I wouldn't plan, like adjust anything for that. I would just kind of be aware of it from like a social interaction standpoint. Like I think it there's there's an intimacy and a, and a heightened emotional state because like if you think about like conversations between two people, they are more intimate, focused, and intense than if we had six people around a table. So I think that's just something that I wouldn't. I don't think there's no rules or anything, but I would. I would. Be aware of that because I think it could potentially feel awkward if you're not aware of it and you find yourself in that position. And 
I think it's an interesting opportunity to explore that as like an emotional space. But I think otherwise that's kind of everything in a nutshell. I think the other the only other thing I would say actually is going back to the idea going back to like encounter building is I think if you understand take some time to like understand the the nuts and bolts of the challenge rating system and how it works so you can kind of look at a monster and say okay i see why they say that this monster is for a fifth level group it's because it has this it has death touch which i have a story about actually now that i think about it i have a good story for this sure yeah so mind flayers are said to be like a challenge rating like eight or nine i think and i was and and i had used i was using them in a game and I got to the actual fight with the Mind Flayer, and it was not until the, their first round in combat that I realized why they're considered at that challenge rating. Because they don't have a ton of hit points and their attacks aren't great. But they have a Mind Blast, which stuns you for a minute, and then they eat your brain. So, so I got to the first round, and I used the Mind Blast, and they were like, Alright, great, I'm down for a minute. And I just read the rulebook, and I was like, oh... Oh, I get it now. I see that. Yeah. I see how that. I think knowing that will allow you to sort of dodge the dodge having to like cover cover your behind and like be like, well, it's not a full mind blast, so you're not actually stunned and uh, ooh, right. tug on the collar <laughs> moment. <laughs> yeah, definitely, and and I've had some experiences with that as well, where you don't fully understand what you're using. I, I shared on, I think Twitter recently, uh, one of the, I did a TPK in third 3.5, except for one character who was smart enough to run away, but the end of the campaign anyways, is we were fighting, uh, or the encounter was going to be with carrying crawlers. And I thought that the save DC to resist the paralysis was too easy. And I just, I saw, cause we had like four characters. Mm-hmm. I think there were two carrying crawlers. Like they're going to wipe the floor. So I had adjusted that every time you were hit, that the DC got raised. So the first hit would be a regular DC, which I think it was 12. And then it would go up, go up, go up. Well, the thing is carrying crawlers get eight attacks in a turn. <laughs> so that super easy DC <sighs> of 12 turned into a 20 and they had to roll five times because they got hit, you know, five out of eight. Right. So not only is it getting harder, but just the chances of you succeeding every time I killed Everyone, they all got paralyzed except for one guy who ran away and that was the end of the campaign. So definitely understand the rules before you tweak them, mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. fully understand them before you use them as well. Yeah. And and I think you touched on this. I, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to lean towards going underpowered if I'm going into a combat to start with. Oh, absolutely. Because I can, because I can always ramp it up. If I find that the players or player in this case is, is wiping the floor, I can, uh, you know, reinforcements show up or I can just behind the screen go, oh, okay, they're, they're supposed to have 13 hit points. Now they have 18. You know, no one's uh-huh. really going to notice that probably makes it a little bit more exciting. But if I start too tough, it's harder to scale down without being, you know, noticeably different to the player, uh, but have an in-game reason, like the ceiling that could collapse, you know, give them yeah. environmental things they can do, like undam the river, chop the log so they roll down, you know, whatever. You, you give them an out that isn't just remove every hit point through rolling D20s. Yeah, absolutely. I completely agree. Very cool. All right. So 
Again, any last words of wisdom or advice to someone that wants to start a solo D&D campaign? And I'll even throw this out. Is there a version of D&D, basic, advanced, second edition, 3.5, will include Pathfinder or fifth edition, that you think is a better version of D&D to do a solo campaign? Uh, I name drop Scarlet Heroes, but I think that might be the D&D that I would immediately go to. As it is a, it is a, like a, an old school, it is an OSR style D&D hack. So it's like the same rules, but it's, there's a number of things in there. And there's a lot, there's a few discrete like articles or essays in it about running with a single player. Because it was explicitly designed with that. So that's probably the first thing that I would go to. Hey, but where then, would someone, because I've never heard of that before. Where would you find Scarlet Heroes? Um, if you, it's on DriveThru. I think if you just search it on DriveThru or Google it, it'll come up immediately. Because it was a big right. Kickstarter thing. If I can find it, I'll throw that in the show notes as well. Yeah, um, I would go with that. Fifth edition is probably the one I would go to second. Because like I said, the encounter tables and stuff, they're not perfect. There's a lot of subtlety that you miss just going off of the table and the xp budgets but i think it provides a better base understanding and like the challenge the 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 monster building sections include a lot of information that allows you to like i said understand the nuts and bolts of this is a challenge rating 10 what does that mean what does it do that makes it challenging to a group of 10th level characters so I think 5th gotcha. edition is the one I would go to after Scarlet Heroes. Okay. And then sort of a just out of the left field question, if we're not going to do this in D&D, what game system, out of, out of your experience, what is the best game system for a one-on-one campaign that you've experienced? Um, for if, if, if we're not doing it in d and I'm going to stick to like if we wanted to do, I guess, a and d like experience. If it was like, if, cause if I was, cause I find a lot of times if I, when I'm talking to people who have never played, like, there are still certain expectations. Even if I say, like, we're not gonna play Dungeons and Dragons, they're like, okay, but we're still gonna go into a dungeon and fight a dragon. So I'm, so sticking to, sticking to that encount, that, like, conversation that I've had with people, I'm gonna say Dungeon World is the game that is a game that really works well, which I didn't expect, but there's a few different ways that you can make Dungeon World sing with a single player either either by doing sort of a gm-less share or shared gm kind of experience with that because the gm moves are just a discrete list of like when you roll this number this happens so it's very easy to transition that and just play two players and sort of share gm responsibilities or you can do the thing where you have run an entire group and because characters are so lightweight in dungeon world it works like beautifully because it's like you know you're not you don't have like a super detailed list of things so it's pretty easy to like get into the role playing of a certain character but then also like sideswipe over and get into the role playing of a different character in a different scene so that is the game that immediately comes to mind for like a good experience if you want sort of a, a D&D like experience with a single player that isn't D&D proper perfect Awesome. Well, Jeff, thank you so much for your time today. I really appreciate it. Uh, Again, thank you for having me. This was great. Party of One podcast. Now, how many episodes do you have out? Uh, As of this recording, it's 57. Okay. Now, is each episode, like like if you do a a one shot with a single person, is that one episode or does it get broken down into multiple episodes? Uh, Depends on length. Usually, I'd say nine times out of ten, it's a single episode, but we've had a few 
that we've gotten to a certain time point where it's like, well, let's call it and then we'll do a two-parter. But I'd say maybe out of that, it's maybe like 50, 50 to 55 one-shots and then a few two-parters in there. Okay, so if someone has not yet listened to one of your shows and they're going to give you a shot, what is the one episode or one two-parter episode that you would say, this is what you need to listen to so that you'll get hooked? Hmm. Going back to what I... Uh, actually, I'm going to say... It is Dungeon Crawl Classics. It's episode 20. It is Dungeon Crawl Classics. We I, I run through the funnel. If you've ever heard of the, the, the Dungeon Crawl Classics funnel, which is you take 16 level zero play characters and throw them into a dungeon, and hopefully one makes it out. I ran that with a single player, and that is, I think, uh just an episode that I think is enough fun, is, is a lot of fun that I think people will get hooked on. Okay, excellent. I will try to put that into the show notes as well to make it easy for people to find. And once again, how can people get a hold of you? Uh, Twitter, email, find your podcast. Where can they go? Um, you can find the podcast on SoundCloud, iTunes, Google Play, whatever, at Party of One Podcast. Uh, Facebook part, Facebook.com slash Party of One Podcast. And then on Twitter at Party of One Pod. You can also email me at Party of One Podcast at gmail.com. Fantastic. Uh, for anyone that wants to get a hold of our show, I am on Twitter, of course, at the RPG Academy. Caleb is at the Caleb G. You can email us Michael at the RPG Academy.com or podcast at the RPG Academy.com. Uh, Facebook, Twitch, YouTube, Google Plus, anywhere you search the RPG Academy should be us. You can find us there. Uh, no new iTunes reviews today and no new Patreons to announce. So with that, we can go ahead and wrap up the show. So this has been Michael. And this has been Jeff. And we will see you next time. Thanks for listening to the RPG Academy podcast, the flagship program of the RPG Academy Network. If you enjoy what we do here, then please check out the RPGacademy.com and visit our site partners for additional entertainment and gaming advice. We do this out of love for the hobby and for you, our fans. The podcast and site content will always be free for you to enjoy and utilize. But we do have expenses related to the show. If you'd like to help out in any way, please visit patreon.com slash Academy and check out the rewards we are providing for your monthly pledges. We use all funds that come in to improve the show and give you better content and quality. And if you don't have the coin to spend, don't worry. You can still help us out in many ways. You can subscribe to our show on iTunes and or Stitcher Radio. You can leave us a five-star review. Also, if you clear your cookies and you visit Amazon or the drive-thru RPG site through our portal, we get a small percentage of what you pay, and it doesn't cost you anything extra. Just like any RPG. Our site works best with open lines of communication. We love talking with our listeners about everything. Please contact us with any questions, concerns, and comments that you have. We also love to hear feedback and experiences from your own games. You can email us via podcast at vrpgacademy.com and reach us on social media such as Facebook and Google Plus at the RPG Academy. But Twitter is usually the fastest way to reach us. You can find my favorite co-host, The Caleb G, at The Caleb G. 
And you can find my favorite co-host, Michael, at The RPG Academy. Thanks for listening. And as always, if you're having fun, you're doing it right. Right.